Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. The first thing that I'm going to do when I'm president is I'm going to Clorox the Oval Office. And if they don't have any money, they'll get in free. So this idea is a bunch of malarkey. I don't know what math you do in New York. I don't know what math you do where you in California, but I tell you, that's a lot of money. This is one of those instances where the house was set on fire and you claimed responsibility for those laws. We have a system right now that's broken. And if you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. It looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. Why did you announce in the first day a zero tolerance policy of stop and frisk and hire Rudy Giuliani's guy in 2007 when I was trying to get rid of the crack cocaine. Um, Mr. Vice President, there's a saying in my community, you're dipping into Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Uh, you, need to, you need to come to the city of Newark. Had I been in the United States Senate at that time, I would have been completely on the other side of the aisle. And let's be clear about this. Had those segregationists their way, I would not be a member of the United States Senate, Cory Booker would not be a member of the United States Senate, and Barack Obama would not have been in the position to nominate him to the title he now holds. This is the fourth debate that we have had, and the second time that we have been debating what people did 50 years ago with busing, when our schools are as segregated today as they were 50 years ago. Mr. Vice President, you can't have it both ways. You invoke President Obama more than anybody in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient right. and then dodge it when it's not. Your response, sir? Yes. That's yes. it? No, he said, would I insist that labor be engaged? The answer is yes. I consider that a victory. <laughs> well, <laughs> I love your affection for me. You spent a lot of time with me. You know what? We, we believe in redemption, Joe. We believe in redemption in this party. Well, I tell you what, I hope you're part. We need to do the opposite of much of what we're doing right now, and the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes masks. We need a nation that understands that these tired old language, the... Stand by, Senator. I will stand by. Please stand by. him talk about any of this when he was the secretary. Please be respectful. Please be respectful in the crowd. Please continue, Mr. Vice President. We will ensure that everyone has access to health care. Your plan, by contrast, leaves out almost 10 million Americans. So Mr. Vice President, you want to be president of the United States. You need to be able to answer the tough questions. I guarantee you, if you're debating Donald Trump, he's not going to let you off the hook. So did you say those deportations were a good idea? Or did you go to the president and say, this is a mistake, we shouldn't do it? Which one? I was vice president. I am not the president. I keep my 
recommendation him in private. Unlike you, I expect you would go ahead and say whatever was said privately with him. That's not what I do. What I do say to you is he moved to fundamentally change the system. All right. So there's some highlights or lowlights, depending on how you look at it, from Democratic debate night number two, as frontrunner Joe Biden took the stage alongside many of his fellow Democratic candidates. I'm Crystal Heath. This is The Frittle Show. And yes, we are talking about the Democratic debates, the Democratic candidates today on the program. I honestly don't even know where to begin. Like, there's just so much that has happened in these two debates over the last couple of days. I honestly, so much more entertaining, so much more fascinating than I thought they would be. Admittedly, the second one didn't have quite as much pizzazz and uh, and comedy, unintended, as the first debate, in my opinion. Uh, we talked about the first debate a little bit yesterday on Drive Time with Fertile, so I'm not going to get into the first debate as much. We'll look at it a little bit here in a few minutes, but we'll focus mostly uh, on the second debate, since that is what has just uh, concluded last evening. As you heard on those highlights, lowlights reel, uh, much of the debate was focused on the candidates going after Joe Biden and focusing their strategy on uh on on pointing out things from his past, trying to maybe knock him down a few pegs and possibly take a step up themselves. Don't know if that really um, worked out well for them. I get the I get the strategy, but uh, I'm trying to find. It. I have like 50 tabs open right now because there's so much to talk about here. Um, I'm trying to find, here we go. So Biden got basically almost 20 minutes. He was called on by the moderators 29 times, uh, including numerous times when he was, uh, obviously if someone comes after you specifically, this now gives you a chance to respond to that. Uh, Harris was, Kamala Harris was second in speaking time. Um, Biden's response, so these time frames were put together by CBS. They don't include the opening or closing statements, but Biden, during the debate, uh, spoke for 19 minutes. He was called on 29 times. Harris spoke for 14 minutes, was called on 18 times. Cory Booker spoke for 9 minutes, was called on 11 times. Uh, Kristen Gillibrand, 8 minutes, called on 11 times. And Julian Castro, 8 minutes, called on 10 times. Um, Andrew, I think it's Andrew Yang, 4 minutes was all that he got. It was called on just eight times. And his line of the night that what we need the uh, we need the opposite of Donald Trump and the opposite is an Asian who loves math. I don't know if that was supposed to be funny. I don't know if it was supposed to be ironic. I don't know I don't know what that was even supposed to I didn't get it. I don't think the audience got it. Like it was just like what what? What like what? I don't. Okay, that's that's what you're going with. You're gonna get four minutes in this debate, and what you want to be remembered as is the Asian guy that loves math. I don't feel that's gonna propel you to victory, sir. I really don't. But you know, so it is. Um, Senators Cory Booker. Kamala Harris from California, former Vice President Joe Biden, obviously the main attractions of this debate. None of them uh, necessarily stood out, although in my opinion, and uh, 
A lot of people that are writing about the debate differ with me on this, I think because he had so much to respond to throughout the night. But unlike the other candidates from both today and, uh, or I mean yesterday, um, last night's debate and whatever, what night was it? Last night was Wednesday. Tuesday night's debate. Uh, despite what some are saying, I think that Joe Biden still looked by far the most presidential. Uh, when he was giving his opening statement, uh, very compelling, very on point, very, he just looked the traditional presidential candidate. Uh, the others have not managed to do that. I think the next best thing that we saw to that regard was Elizabeth Warren. Now, in his closing statement, <laughs> in his closing statement, I got to play this for you. Let me see if I can find this clip. Hang on. Um, where is it at? I have so many things to share. Okay, let's uh, let me just play this for you in case you missed it and you didn't watch highlights or the, you didn't record the record it to watch after church. I've, I've got to try and get some stuff in for you here. So this was in Joe Biden's uh, closing statement. All right, get get this now. If you agree with me, go to Joe three o three three o and help me in this fight. Go to Joe, three o three three o, and help me. So here's the thing, uh, that's not a website address, or at least it wasn't at the time. In fact, his web address is joebiden.com. What he was meaning to say was text Joe, three o three three o. I think. We're not even entirely sure there. Because um, even if you try to text Joe 30330, that doesn't work either. Because now you're a number short. So basically, what you wanted to do was you wanted to text Joe to the number 30330. The whole closing statement for Biden was a disaster, actually. But the opening statement during the debate itself, I thought, really good. A college kid, by the way, a couple of college kids bought Joe30330.com. Uh, they redirected it to uh, Mayor Pete's website. I have this article somewhere, too. I just want to make sure I get the... <sighs> I don't know where it ended up in my my whole plethora of tabs here, but um, this college kid bought Joe 30330, presumably a supporter of Mayor Pete. He redirected the domain to Mayor Pete's website. I always call him Mayor Pete because I can never pronounce his last name correctly, so you know who it is. Um, the guy from South Bend, Indiana. Home in Indiana. I'm, that's, that's a song that they sing at every... Uh, every um, start to an Indianapolis 500. It's the only reason I even know the song. Anyhow, Mayor Pete's from South Bend. And uh, so he redirected the Joe 30330 to the Mayor Pete website and then <laughs> decided that maybe that wasn't the best idea. So he had previously um, created a website of his own. Uh, what was his name? I'm trying to remember the kid's name. I Like I said, I had the website. I had 
I had the article pulled up, but again, I have like 50 articles with little tidbits of facts and figures here so that I can give this all to you, hopefully. And I can't remember what his name is. I think it's Chris, maybe. But so he had several months ago created a a website of his own saying that he was running for president and that his main platform was to eliminate um <laughs> to eliminate homework in college so he redirects once they he and his roommate or whoever it was the two of them bought this domain name together they decide to redirect it back to his uh joke website about running for president and his platform being to eliminate homework in college. Well, by this point, Mayor Pete's supporters have discovered Joe 30330 and that it had gone to Mayor Pete's website. They think that Mayor Pete and his team are marketing geniuses and that they snagged the domain before anyone else could and that they had done this. So when the kids switched it over to his own his own website, they all started freaking out and saying that the domain had been hacked and that someone had stolen it and was and was undermining Mayor Pete's campaign. When in reality, it was just some college kids who decided that they were better served directing the domain to themselves than to another candidate. They said that they have not been contacted by Biden's campaign or by Mayor Pete's campaign. Now that one, that was a missed opportunity. Every single Democratic candidate's uh, team should have been on that, like, chocolate syrup on ice cream. Okay? Like, it just needs to... I don't know why I use that analogy. It's just I really have been craving ice cream for like two weeks and haven't had any. Actually, I don't think I've had ice cream since I left the... I think the last time I had ice cream was in Petra. And I don't feel that that's acceptable because I've been home for weeks. <laughs> no, that's not true, actually. I had a milkshake the other day. Where did I have a milkshake? It was not good. I was highly disappointed. Oh, I it was at Fat Boy or Fat Boys. I forget what it's called. It's like over towards Nellis. My brother really wanted to try this restaurant. Really, really good burgers. Not disappointed at all. Like, so good. Highly disappointed in the milkshake, though. It tasted like I went through McDonald's and the machine was broken and it was, it was not good. Anyhow, um, Democratic staffers should have been on that thing. I mean, by Joe 30330. Okay, um, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, his moment came when he called out Joe Biden uh, for failing to directly respond to his challenge on the millions of deportations under Barack Obama. He said, I guarantee you, if you're debating Donald Trump, he's not going to let you off the hook. Um, Biden and Booker, you heard this in the pilot video we played for you, they both uh, experienced protesters shouting uh, early in their portion of the debate. Um, Let's see... Biden and Harris and Senator Michael Bennett kept stumbling over their words. In fact, at one point, Biden called Cory Booker the future president. In Harris's opening statement, she messed up her talking point by saying that she would, quote, prosecute the case of four more years of Donald Trump and against him. 
Oh, man. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren came out looking really good after last night's debate. There just wasn't a lot. There wasn't a whole lot. I think that Elizabeth Warren ended up possibly looking the best of all the candidates, except for, like I said, Joe Biden, despite all his gaffes, which you know are coming because it's Joe Biden, he just had a presidential feel to him. Uh, Julian Castro may have really, uh, really helped himself out. Um, he said, Mr. Vice President, one of the best shots at Biden of the night, they're best received by those that were polled. He said, Mr. Vice President, it looks like one of us has learned the lessons of the past and one of us hasn't. What we need are politicians who actually have some guts on this issue. Not from the polls, from the crowd. The crowd loved that line. Um... Yang, Andrew Yang, an Asian man who likes math. His closing statement was about how he doesn't wear a tie. His supporters are using the hashtag Yang Gang. I feel that he was the, uh, uh, what's her name? Marie Williamson. Is it Marianne Williamson? of night two just the one that you're like what like she was the one that said in the first debate that we have to we have to beware the psychic dark forces that donald trump is bringing out in the american people that's the real danger to this country what we need is just love sweet love that was basically marianne williamson's whole debate in a nutshell (laughs) um he was like he was her in last night's debate like he was just like you're Okay, so your 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 main talking points are, one, you're an Asian guy who likes math, and two, you don't wear neckties. All right, yeah, got my vote. <laughs> Not. Um. Let's see, what else do we need to talk about here? There's so many things. I just don't know how to prioritize it. Okay. Um, I thought it was interesting that they went after Obama on immigration. It was very interesting. I'm not sure that it works well for the Democrats if Biden becomes the nominee because you are just giving Donald Trump all these audio clips of prominent Democrats blasting Biden uh, for what happened under Barack Obama. Booker very um, poignantly said to Biden at one point, you can't have it both ways. You invoke President Obama more than anyone in this campaign. You can't do it when it's convenient and then dodge it when it's not. It's very interesting. Um, Gabbard took some serious punches at Kamala Harris. I mean, just... Just, it was, it was, it was not good. It was like if Floyd Mayweather was boxing some, uh, 14-year-old boy. Like, it just was, like, total devastation. Um, he said there are two, she said there are too many examples to cite, but she, Kamala Harris, put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever had ever smoked marijuana. Actually, I think I have audio of her as well. 
going after yeah Tulsi Gabbard um she just tore into her here let me uh I'm gonna play you some of this audio one second here okay here we go this is Tulsi Gabbard going after Kamala Harris Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president but I'm deeply concerned about this record there are too many examples to cite but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Thank you, Congressman. So there you go. That's Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii just going after Kamala Harris. I mean, that was just, man. And then you have, then you have Kristen Gillibrand. She says, she says the first thing she's going to do when she's president is Clorox the Oval Office. I'm just, what? Like, what? You're going to wipe it, like, with a cloth? I feel like we heard that before. But, um, like, does anybody say when they're going to go and clean, oh, I'm going to go Clorox? Like, nobody talks like this, first of all. Then, then, during the debate, she would go on to tell the world that not only is she the primary bread earner in her household, she's also the primary caregiver in her household. She does it all. you got to wonder what her husband... Like, what? how does this make him feel? Yeah, what? Like, I don't know. Um, maybe give your husband some kind of credit. Like, she didn't even acknowledge the poor man. And I know it's 2019 and women are awesome. And you can, woman can be the primary bread earner and still be the primary caregiver in her household. Yeah. But... I feel in this case, maybe it's a stretch of the truth, or maybe it's really not even that close to the truth, and maybe I'm just reading too much into this here, but generally speaking, you're serving in Congress, right? So, if you're actually doing your job the way that it should be done, sorry. Senate, Congress, I know. Some people put them together, some people don't. Some people are like, no, she's not in Congress, she's in the Senate. Okay, if you want to be that way. She's been a senator for the state of New York since 2009. So she's serving in the Senate. Prior to that, she served as the representative from New York's 20th district. So since 2007, she has been serving in Congress. All right. Her husband is Jonathan Gillibrand. He's a British venture capitalist. Okay. He got an MBA at Columbia University. And um, he seems like a really, really smart guy. 
But my thought is, if you've been in Congress and or the Senate, or we could just use Congress to talk about both, but some of you don't like that. If you've been doing this since 2007, and your second son was born in 2008, I believe. No, wait. Was it 2008? I'm trying to find it. Yeah. Second son was born in 2008. If you are actually in the Senate for a while the Senate is functioning and meeting, well, functioning may not be the right word, but when the Senate is actually convening, I don't see how, though, okay, maybe because the government is paying your salary, you're making more money than your husband is making as a venture capitalist. And if that is the case, he may not be doing real great at that. But um, if he's making close to what you're making, you're still doing really well. But I, I just don't get it. I don't see how you're saying you're claiming to be the primary breadwinner and the primary caregiver when you're in Washington, D.C., and your family's not even there, right? I just don't... I don't think it's a thing. So I'm tired of all the people on social media that are like, Yes, women can do this. You can't question her saying this because it's 2019 and women can be the primary bread giver and the primary caregiver. Okay. But in this case, if you actually look at her life and her career and when her children came into the scene, I'm not sure that it's a realistic possibility to think that that's accurate. But that's what everybody got from the debate from Kristen Gillibrand. Um, let's see. On climate change, Biden, who was the reasonable person in this scenario, said there will be no more fossil fuels in his presidency. And that was the reasonable <laughs> answer to the climate change issue. No more fossil fuels means no oil, no gas, no coal. So let's think about this. No diesel trucks. Think about how things transfer from one state to another most often in this country. Products, goods, services, foods. No airplanes. Think about how you most often travel to your family or business situations that are more than 10 hours away. No fighter jets. I feel like not only is that going to make us uh, handicapped in a military sense, but it's also going to put a lot of people out of work, like pilots. No chainsaws. No lawnmowers, unless you're pushing it. No tractors. Like, the, the, the thought of no fossil fuels. Like, it's an easy thing to say, but then actually think about what that means. It means no oil, no gas, no coal. You have to eliminate every single thing that runs on gas, every single thing that runs on oil, every single thing that runs on coal. And unless your house is solely powered by electricity or solar electricity, you're probably not getting heat, uh, heat in the winter. For uh, more than half of America would be my best guess. Pat Sajak, though, had the line of the night. You're like, he, who? What? Yeah, Pat Sajak, Wheel of Fortune host. 
His Twitter feed is hilarious. If you don't follow him, you're doing Twitter wrong. But <laughs> during the debate last night, he tweeted, Nah, I don't care for this group either, hoping tomorrow's will be better. Mocking the fact that there were two nights of debates and that neither one of them was <laughs> overly phenomenal by any sense or stretch of the word. Okay. Um, let's see what else we got here. Um, we talked about that. Healthcare. Healthcare was a big issue throughout this debate. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris going at it quite a bit. Kamala Harris going round and round and round. Uh, where is the quote? Oh, man. Joe Biden said something really, really good, actually. Um... Anyway, uh, I'll try and find that. But um, Biden was advocating for a Medicare for all system. And Kamala Harris was trying to find a middle ground between the Medicare for all system and other plans to introduce a public option and build on the Affordable Care Act. She said that her plan, that the American people say it's too much to happen in four years, so then she'll make it happen in 10 years and that it would include a role for private insurance companies. Um, Biden argued that the 10-year timeline was too drawn out and said, quote, secondly, it will require middle-class taxes to go up, not down. Thirdly, it will eliminate employer-based insurance. And fourthly, what will happen in the meantime? Harris defended her plan by arguing, first of all, the cost of doing nothing is far too expensive. Second, we are now paying $3 trillion a year for healthcare in America. Over the next 10 years, it will probably be $6 trillion. We must act. My plan is immediately allowing people to sign up and get coverage. Uh... Hang on, let me see if I can find what he said. Because it was really good. Um, basically said this kind of wish-washy um, thing would not work out. Come on. Why is it? Nope, nope, nope. Where is that? Where is that? Need the quote. Mm. Oh, there it is. You can't beat President Trump with double talk. He's estimated that single-payer insurance would cost about $30 trillion over 10 years. Someone else, I think it was... Uh, was it Cory Booker? Somebody called out Joe Biden for fear-mongering by focusing on the fact that it would raise taxes. I was like, this is one of the only things the man said that's accurate. You can't give more people free stuff, quote-unquote, and not... Somebody's going to pay for it. And that somebody is the American taxpayer. <sighs> um... On criminal justice, Cory Booker went after Joe Biden and said, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. <laughs> he 
So this is a crisis in our country because we have treated issues of race and poverty and addiction by locking people up and not lifting them up. Since the 1970s, every crime bill, major and minor, has had his name on it, Booker said in criticizing Biden over his record. We have a system right now that's broken, and if you want to compare records, and I'm shocked that, shocked that you do, I'm happy to do that, because all the problems that he is talking about that he created, I actually led the bill that got passed into law that reverses the damages. He was talking about the First Step Act. Uh, and uh, when Biden tried to hit back at Booker over discriminating policing practices in the city of Newark, where Booker served as mayor from 2006 or in 2006, uh, and then again 2013, Booker said, "Quote: There's a saying in my community that you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. You need to come to the city and see the reforms we put in place." Um, let's see. Harris, not a good night. We already talked about Gillibrand running the show at her house. Uh, Andrew Yang, no tie guy who is an Asian that's good at math. Um, I'm not. If you're just tuning in, by the way, I'm not saying that as a stereotypical thing, and it's in no way racist. It's literally what he, what he used as his like line of the night. <laughs> we need the opposite of Donald Trump, and the opposite would be an Asian that's good at math. Presumably thinking that we believe that Donald Trump is terrible at math, I guess. I don't... I don't know. Okay. I, I think that's all that I want to cover uh, from the first debate. Um, or the second debate, rather. Summary. Joe Biden, I think, looked good and presidential. Uh, Kamala Harris... Well, he struggled... Struggled incredibly through his closing statement, including sending people to a website that didn't exist, from which a college kid bought the domain and then redirected it to his own parody website, uh, if you will. So Biden has a presidential-looking night. Every other candidate goes after him, which gives him more time to talk, which helps him out in the long run. I think we could argue about whether or not Biden talking helps him or not, but I think that it does. Uh, Booker had a pretty good night, in my opinion. Um... Those are, I think those are the two that, to me, seem like they had a good night. Kamala Harris just struggled through a lot. Uh, um, what's her name? <sighs> Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard just went after her with a vengeance. Uh, Biden said that her kind of double talk over health care wouldn't beat Donald Trump. I felt like Harris had one of the worst nights. Um uh, and those were really the three, I think, from this debate to watch. The three that stood out. Biden, Harris, bad night. Booker, better night than anticipated. So that was how the second uh, debate went down. First debate, I'm not going to talk about it too long. We'll just touch on it here uh, for a minute. And then I want to move on to just kind of talking about the Democratic candidates in general and where we go from here. Um, the first night of the Democratic debate was largely uh, focused on health care policy, uh, also about Medicare for all, but it also uh, it it went so many interesting directions. There was a uh, there was a debate on decriminalizing the border. There was debate about immigration. There was the the now infamous line of the dark psychic forces that Donald Trump is is conjuring up in the American people apparently. And then there was uh, Mayor Pete, who was letting everyone know that if you're a Christian and you don't support raising the minimum wage, then 
you're not a good Christian because the Bible says he that oppresses the poor, um, uh, I can't, why is my brain not working? Uh, it shows contempt for their maker. That's it. Whosoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. And he said that not supporting a raise in the minimum wage would be equivalent to oppressing the poor. Um, yeah, okay. I, I always feel that when someone invokes scripture who is not living what would be considered a biblical lifestyle... It, it gives you cause to kind of pause and say, okay, perhaps this is not a proper interpretation or application. They are different. But maybe you missed the boat on both perspectives. Also, uh, can we, if, if it's okay to use that Bible verse, would you be willing to discuss the other ones about how, you know, Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to heaven? And then once we get through that, then we'll talk about, you know, other sin that the Bible discusses and uh, that's not going to happen but we're going to take out these Bible verses that we are going to twist around to say what we want them to say the rest of it we don't want and oh by the way you better not bring a Bible to school but I'm going to quote it on the debate stage to make the point that I want to make whether or not it's actually the proper interpretation of scripture or not that's how I feel about what Mayor Pete did and he was ready for it. Like, he had that line prepared. <laughs> he was so proud of his self, you could just see it. Like, he was ready with that one. And it was like, yeah, that's not even... Do you... Do you even... Hebrew, bro? Like... <laughs> do you understand the... Con I don't think you know what's going on there. I don't... I think that, um... You know... The minimum wage would not be oppressing the poor. Pressing the poor would be not leaving them the leftovers in your field. So, you know, oppressing the poor would be like kidnapping them, enslaving them. A little bit different than the minimum wage issue in this country. So from the first debate, uh, winners, losers, I would say uh, Elizabeth Warren looked surprisingly good in the first debate to me. I was shocked. Uh, she came out strong. She had good answers. She was prepared. Uh, she looked confident. I was, I was like, wow, this woman actually, I think, has a shot at this. I was, I was thoroughly impressed with Elizabeth Warren's performance. Disagree with her on pretty much everything, but performance-wise, uh, as far as the debate goes, she did good. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I think, did fine. He's very Bernie. His his supporters will love it. I don't know if he gains anybody. He's like. <laughs> At one point, he just throws his hands up in the air. And I forget who was standing next to him. One of the, like, 37 candidates that are running was standing next to him. He's like, well, you can throw your hands up in the air, but that doesn't change it. And Bernie was like, I will! And throws his hands up in the air again. It was just... The first debate was way more entertaining, I thought. Okay. Um, the next debate. The next debate will see a much, much reduced... Uh, where did that article go? A much reduced... Did I close it accidentally? I think I did. 
Um, let me see if I can find it. A lower number of candidates because there is a threshold both in polling and in fundraising that will have to be met by a candidate for them to be able to qualify for the next debate, which will be in September uh, at, in Houston, Texas. It'll be September 12th, possibly September 13th as well, depending on how many candidates uh, qualify, but it'll be at Texas uh, Southern University. Um, candidates will have to have at least 2%, be polling at 2% in four national DNC-approved polls. They will have to have at least 130,000 unique donors coming from at least 400 unique donors in 20 or more states. So they have to have at least 400 donors in 20 or more states. The deadline to reach the qualifications for the September debate is August 28th. By the way, happy August, everyone. August 1st. Hard to believe July is over. Uh, but if you've been watching this over the past few months while we've been leading up to this first debate, uh, that is double the 1% throat polling threshold to make it into the, 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 the second debate that we just experienced. And, um, double the 65,000 donor minimum for the last two rounds. And for those, candidates only had to clear one of the two bars. You didn't have to clear both. For the next one, you will have to have both. You have to have at least 2% in four national DNC-approved polls and at least 130,000 unique donors. So you have to have both. Uh, as of right now, only seven candidates meet the current requirements. Uh, those would be former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Cory Booker, Mayor Pete, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, Representative, former Representative Beto O'Rourke, which I don't know how that's even possible. Um, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. Two candidates have just met the donor requirement, uh, Julian Castro and Andrew Yang. Uh, one candidate just met, or I'm sorry, they met the donor requirement. Did I say that? I don't know. One candidate had just met the polling requirement. That's Amy Klobuchar has met the polling requirement. There are 15 more that have not yet met either requirement. Michael Bennett, Steve Bullock, Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, Tulsi Gabbard, Kristen Gillibrand, Mike Gravel, John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, Wayne Meesum, Seth Moulton, Tim Ryan, Joe Sestak, Tom Steyer, and Marianne Williamson. So, right now, we'll have at least seven candidates. Looks like ten. Uh, ten, we may get to ten, maybe a few more, but they don't have very long to turn this thing around, so I expect ten or fewer candidates in the September debate will really start uh, weeding out the field here. Um, they can still be on the ballot if they if they choose to be, but it will definitely be starting to narrow uh, narrow the choices on the Democrat side of things. So, what do I want to... We don't have very long left. Where do I want to go with this? Um, you know, the New York Times asked the Democratic presidential candidates the same 18 questions. And I don't pay money to the New York Times for the privilege of reading what they have to write. Because guess what? Since they have a... a uh, since they have a block on their site that you have to pay for it, other people will write articles about the articles that they write, and those articles are free. So I just wait for those. Now, I'm not necessarily opposed to subscription online, uh, online subscription-based news services. I think it's a wave of the future. But at this point, I don't have any desire to pay to read the New York Times. 
So um, the questions they asked, we'll just go over the questions that the New York Times asked, because these are similar to what was in the debate, some of them, but really uh, not at all. And then um, some of the answers for some of these questions, okay? Uh, so the first question was, in an ideal world, would anyone own handguns? Julian Castro uh, was the one that stood out in this question because he said, quote, in an ideal world, people would not own handguns. And there are a number of countries around the world where people do not own handguns, where they're not permitted. And we see that those countries have more safety, greater safety, less violent deaths, and so forth. However, we also recognize in the United States that the Supreme Court in the Heller decision has ruled that people do have the right to bear arms. I love that he didn't even say that it's a constitutional right. No, but the, the Supreme Court decided that what the Constitution says is what the Constitution actually means. So we have to kind of let people have their guns. Guns, but really in an ideal world no one would have them because in these other progressive countries where they don't have guns like they're so much safer and there are fewer violent crimes which is completely false countries where people are not allowed to own firearms have some of the worst safety in the world uh, most of the candidates answered that they support common sense gun reform no one really tells us what that means, but if it would just be common sense, they would support it. Mayor Pete said that in an ideal world, nobody would feel the need to have a handgun, but I respect the Second Amendment. I respect the desire for people to have the means for self-defense as long as there are common sense measures. There we go again with the common sense. Can someone please explain to me what common sense means? I mean, I think I know what it means, but I don't know what they think it means because what they say is common sense is not often common sense to me because they're like, we need to get rid of the assault weapons. Can you define the assault weapon? Because I feel that a steak knife is an assault weapon if you just put it in your hand and run at some... Like, what? I, um, they were asked if their focus would be on improving the Affordable Care Act or replacing a single pair. I'm not going to get into that because I feel like that question was pretty well covered in the debate. They said, do you think, they were asked, do you think it's possible for the next president to stop climate change? Again, not going to get into that because they did, they covered that one in the debate with Joe Biden giving the answer of there will be no fossil fuels in his presidency. It means there will be no gasoline for your cars, folks. There will be no gasoline for tractors, which means we will not have food. <sighs> which means we'll not be flying in an airplane. This one, number four, do you think Israel meets international standards on human rights? Several candidates said yes. Harris, Gillibrand, Delaney, Bennett, Klobuchar, de Blasio. Others kind of ignored the question by discussing their own policy positions on Israel. Others were trying to tightrope the line between criticizing Israel's behavior towards Palestine and excusing it, a.k.a. Israel wants to do the right thing, but they could be doing better. Or they say that Israel is in a very difficult situation. Um... First of all, the way this question is phrased, does Israel meet international standards of human rights? Does Israel meet international standards of human rights? They don't ask about any other country in the world, let alone the Middle East, where we have countries that are throwing people off of buildings where women aren't allowed to drive or to work or to leave the house without a chaperone, where Christians are being murdered, we don't ask about any of the other countries. Just, just Israel. We're just going to ask about Israel. Their human, international human rights. 
Um, you know what? Actually, I'm not going to go through with these. You can look it up if you want. It's kind of, some of their questions are kind of interesting, but I have something else I would rather talk about now because I want to get this off finished out with a with a lighter uh, a lighter conversation. So, but the New York Times they asked the Democratic presidential candidates 18 questions. Um, you can go and you can read about them. You can watch them. Just Google it. Uh, it's a good summary of some of their positions. But the most interesting question in the whole thing was, what is your comfort food on the campaign trail? This, I feel, tells us more about these candidates. And it's just, you know, just kind of a lighter, a lighter take on everything than maybe maybe we've been getting the past couple of days. So this is where I wanted to end it. Because Republican, Democrat, Independent, uh, don't care. Whatever is your position... I think it's important that we understand people's comfort foods because I think it tells us a lot about a person. More so than, you know, when you're asked, what's your most embarrassing moment? And you're like, oh my goodness, this is my most embarrassing moment. The moment that I can't remember an embarrassing moment. Well, come on. But when you get asked what your comfort food is, this tells us a lot about you. Cory Booker, in response to this question. So the question is, what is your comfort food on the campaign trail? Cory Booker says, when you're a vegan, that means lots of veggies on the go. I'm sorry, are you, like, preaching while you're answering the question? Your comfort food is being a vegan? Are you, are you saying you don't have a comfort food because you're a vegan? Are you saying that vegans can't have comfort food? Okay. Tulsi Gabbard, the congresswoman from Hawaii, who went after Kamala Harris when asked what was her comfort food on the campaign trail, she said, I try to stay away from it. What? Stay away from what? Comfort food? What are what, what? What is the comfort food you stay away from? She said, I try to stay away from it, but vegan cupcakes is probably a real threat on the trail. I think, I think it's supposed to say treat. I think it was a mistype. <laughs> But vegan cupcakes is probably a real treat on the trail. So I'm so confused by these people and their answers. Like, just answer the question. Vegan cupcakes is probably. Does that mean that you haven't tried them so you don't actually know? If they're a comfort... Like, it can't be your comfort food if you've never experienced it. <sighs> Beto O'Rourke. Former congressman from Texas. He said, any kind of fast food. All right, we're getting a little bit better, but again, we need something a little more specific. Are we talking tacos, burgers, chicken, pizza? Like, there's so many varieties of fast food. We're going to need more information, Mr. O'Rourke, which is how I feel about your entire campaign. Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana. Finally, finally we get someone who answers the question with an answer. He said, I love a good hamburger. Thank you. We understand you now. Seth Moulton, congressman from Massachusetts. Another good answer. I mean, you can't beat a burger for a quick, classic American meal. Boom. Good job. This next one, special. John Delaney, former congressman from Maryland. A grilled chicken sandwich from McDonald's with no sauce. Two of them. No sauce. A, a, a grilled chicken sandwich from McDonald's. With no sauce. That sounds like one of the worst things that you could eat from any fast food place. Like, it, 
at least make it from Chick-fil-A, but you, no sauce. It's not even a fried chicken sandwich. What are you trying to do? Like, do you, and, and then do you just take the piece of grilled chicken and take the bun, bun off of it? I don't understand this, man. It sounds disgusting. Like, what? Uh, another one of my favorites was Amy Klobuchar, a senator from Minnesota, asked what her comfort food on the campaign trail is. She said, a baked potato. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? What? Like, what? <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I guess Wendy's. I think Wendy's is like the only fast food place where you can even get a baked potato. Like, you just, you just be walking along in the middle of some town be like, Oh, you know what? I'd like to stop in this little, this little, this little burger joint right here just for a baked potato. Like, I just really want a baked potato. Nobody says this. Nobody. Michael Bennett, senator from Colorado, took the opportunity to plug one of his constituents back home. Probably a supporter of his campaign financially. He said, an Italian sausage sandwich at Passkey in Pablo, Colorado. Well, listen, buddy, if you're on the campaign trail, uh, your, your, your comfort food on the campaign trail will probably not take you to Pablo, Colorado all that often, so maybe you need to be a little less specific. Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City, said, I think if I've got one go-to, it's pulled pork. All right. Thank you for answering the question. Andrew Yang, remember the Asian who's really good at math, who doesn't like uh, ties? He said, kind bars are my comfort food. Kind bar? Who are you? Go home. Like, no. Kind bars are not comfort food. They barely even qualify as food in some situations. All right, no, it's not a not an acceptable answer. John Hickenlooper, former governor of Colorado, he said, "I do have a sweet tooth, and I will look for those little bowls of, you know, M and M's or mints." Um, where are you going on your campaign? Are you only going to like everybody's grandmother's house because? Nobody has, like, you're either in an office or grandma's if somebody has, a like, a bowl of M&M's. A bowl of mints, maybe, like in an office situation. But a bowl of M&M's, that's very specific. People don't just leave out bowls of M&M's anymore. This is not something that we do. <sighs> Jay Inslee, governor of Washington said, it was M&M's, but I've taken an oath now to lay off of the M&M's to maintain belt security. It's possibly the best answer. Not because it gives us an actual answer, because if it's not M&M's, then you need to replace, like, what is it then? But because, he said, to maintain belt security. Like, that's just a great... <laughs> Build a wall around the M&M's. Gotta maintain this belt security. Alright. Bernie Sanders... Senator from Vermont, when asked what his favorite comfort food is, said, quote, Last time out, we did a trip to the West Coast, and I gained three pounds in four days, so it's too much comfort food. Unquote. I'm sorry, so what exactly was your com go-to comfort food on the campaign trail? You, I, no? Not going to answer? Okay. Marianne Williamson, the infamous dark psychic forces that Trump is drawing out of the American people said, I have no comfort food. 
This woman is a self-help author. How can you be a self-help author and not have a comfort food? It doesn't even have to be a bad one. Like, you could say, you could say cashews. Cool. Nope, just don't have one. Mayor Pete said, quote, The word got out that I like beef jerky, and so people have been kind enough to give that to me on the road sometimes. Okay, we didn't need a whole exposition. Just say beef jerky. Tim Ryan, congressman from Ohio. This is the winner right here. I'm an ice cream guy. That's me. Ice cream is my weakness, is my comfort. You can turn it into a milkshake. You can turn it into a malt. You can have it melting. You can put honey on it. There are so many different possibilities. It can be soft serve. It cannot be soft served. It can be gelato. But you bring me ice cream, we're done. I, I just, I can't resist the ice cream. My brother and I were talking about this the other day. We grew up in like a major dairy farming area where ice cream is huge. Like you always have ice cream in Pennsylvania. Sometimes you have ice cream and potato chips or ice cream and pretzels because you get the salt and the sweet. Anyway, but he's the winner. True Ohioan right there says an ice cream guy. He didn't give us a flavor. My favorite flavor, by the way, Turkey Hill. Chocolate peanut butter ice cream. That is my most favorite ice cream in the entire world. Turkey Hill is made in Pennsylvania, by the way. We have Turkey Hill ice cream here in Nevada. Sadly, I have yet to find a single place that sells Turkey Hill ice cream in Nevada that carries chocolate peanut butter. The next best thing is Blue Bunny has... I've had to compromise because there is no Turkey Hill chocolate peanut butter here. Blue Bunny has like a peanut butter... uh, I hardly ever buy it because it's so expensive. But it's some sort of peanut butter like explosion. Just needs to have peanut butter in it. Not caramel. I do not like caramel. Do not like caramel. Do not like pistachios. I love peanut butter. Uh, Julian Castro said, I don't have a food. I have a comfort drink, which is iced tea. Okay, that's an acceptable answer. But is it sweet tea or unsweet tea? We don't know. Eric Swalwell, Congressman from California, said, It's really comfort coffee. My favorite coffee is a mocha. All right. We'll take it. Kristen Gillibrand, the senator from New York, who is not only the main breadwinner, but also the main caretaker of her home, said a glass of whiskey at the end of the night. Moving on. Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, said probably chicks, chips and guacamole. That would work if you're the senator from Arizona. I don't know how it goes over when you're the senator from Massachusetts. I'm just not sure that I believe you. Unless you are trying to pander to, you know, a certain people group, but I won't go there. Kamala Harris, senator from California, probably, I think, the most honest answer, French fries. I love a good French fry, or a few, or many, or just the whole thing. Yes. Yes. Good answer. Joe Biden, the former vice president, declined to participate in the survey that the New York Times did, didn't answer any of their 18 questions, including the comfort food questions, so... That remains a mystery. And that's all the time that we have left for today. Now you know things that you didn't even know you wanted to know about the Democratic debates, about the Democratic candidates themselves, and probably about your life in general. (laughs) And the time has come for us to say goodbye. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place on KVXL. And because it's Friday... We won't even be talking about politics, probably at all. Maybe a little bit, but probably not at all. And I'll be giving something away. It's going to be a good time. 
Hope you'll be back for that. This is KVXL, 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Our service times are 9.30 and 11.15 Sunday morning, 6 p.m. Sunday evening, 7 p.m. Wednesday. We would love to have you and your family join us for any of our services. But if you can't be here in person, you can always stream us online by visiting our website at experienceliberty.com. Coming up next, it's Dr. David Tice with his program, Living in Liberty. Dr. Tice is our pastor here at Liberty Baptist Church, where again, you can join us Sundays, Wednesdays, be here. My voice is going to go away and then it's going to come back for me to do the official introduction of the program. Don't be creeped out by that. It's really not weird. It's just a thing that we do in radio. (laughs) I just felt like saying that. Okay. Adios, amigos. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.